hello. Just before we begin the episode properly, this is just a content warning to say that the episode is going to contain extensive discussion of food, eating, weight loss, diets, eating disorders, and everything surrounding that. So if you do think you might be affected, do just bear that in mind uh, when listening. Thanks. Welcome to this week's episode of the Social Review Podcast. I'm your host, Jasper, at Jasper underscore CH on Twitter. And today I'm delighted to be joined by... Uh, Liam Stewart. Um, uh, uh, yeah, no, uh, I've just, I've been asked to uh, <laughs> come on this episode. Very happy to be asked. Um, my Twitter mm. handle is at Damas Miliband. Um, and I am a Labour uh, member and activist. Damas Miliband. Yes. <laughs> Um, and um, and yeah, and and Liam is writing a piece for the website this week about the government's recently announced anti-obesity strategy, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so Liam, would you just be able to give an overview of the piece that you're writing and your general argument about the obesity strategy? Sure. So um, essentially, um, so I have a bit of background on the piece is that I basically, I, I'm, I, I pitched the piece because um, I have, I was obese until around the age of 17. Um, and I mm. kind of, I've witnessed, you know, some um, uh, and kind of already some anti-obesity strategies that have been put out there by UK governments, essentially, uh, specifically the change for life. I don't know if you remember that yeah campaign that was yeah i do yeah so that was the that was kind of new labor's um kind of big anti-obesity campaign and it was the first kind of uk national one as well um so when i saw Mm. kind of articles uh briefing that the government were kind of thinking about doing something similar again um but that they were mainly focusing on um, or the measures that were briefed were that they were going to uh be Exp- uh, widening the availability of gastric bands, for example, um, they announced yesterday mm. that they've um, that calorie labels are going to be present in uh, restaurants uh, from mm. uh, soon. Um, they're going to stop uh, food advertising uh, at certain times of the day, for example, on 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 the t- on television and uh, mm. in other locations. Um, yeah, and that seems to be kind of what they're kind of focusing on, really. And what I felt was lacking was, and what I felt was also lacking in the change for life uh, obesity strategy, was kind of an analysis of our relationship, our individual relationships with food, and how they can be unhealthy, and how those unhealthy relationships can kind of lead to obesity. Um, and basically, I just thought that I was completely lacking from any of the kind of brief brief policy suggestions. Um, and so my my argument in the piece is basically that if a government actually genuinely really wants to solve the obesity crisis that they think exists right now in the UK, then they actually need to start analysing our start helping people uh, have conversations around their personal relationships with food. Um, why, for example, do people feel like they have to overeat? Um, another mm. question that, you know, um, why why don't people like to exercise? You know, that's another question mm. um, that I think is very key to kind of our relationship with food and our, our weight. Um, why isn't healthier food cheaper? Um, why do I, you know, like certain foods? Why do I dislike certain foods? Um, how, you know, where is, what is my kind of food history, for example? What ha- And also kind of just, just on a more lighter side, kind of like uh, just kind of the notion of kind of recognizing that we all have our kind of individual food kind of quirks and all and personal preferences. And this kind of Mm. and the fact and the inability to be aware of this personal relationship between food and ourselves from the government, I think is just it leads to policy uh, suggestions which will only have effects at the margins and i think if you really want to radically change uh, how um obesity radically solve kind of obesity i think you're only actually going to have a real effect if you can get people to truly analyze 
their emotion, the emotional links that they have between food um, and their weight, essentially. It's 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 really interesting to hear because, as you as you said, and as you sort of talk about extensively in the piece, this is it, it's it's a direct descendant of your own history with food and with weight, um, and your own personal reaction to, um, you know, strategies like the Change for Life campaign, and how, as you were just saying there, how our weight is intrinsically linked to our individual relationships with food which are shaped by so many different factors as you just outlined and a big reason why i was really interested in having this discussion on the podcast this week is i mean one because i think it's important to have um but also because i mean listeners you probably <laughs> you probably won't know this but um in that i i am also classed as obese um now i think um and I've also always had a difficult relationship with food and weight, um, stretching back to um, my childhood. So um, similar sort of situation in, in the economic inequalities impacted health inequalities. Um, I mean, I, I, I went down to have a chat with my mum about it last night. And, you know, I mean, it's sort of summed up very aptly in the idea of like, well, you know, you if you've got 30 pounds a week to spend on food because you live on benefits um mm. you could go to sainsbury's and buy not as much food but have it be healthier food or you could go to iceland where a pizza is one pound mm. a bag of chips is one pound you know the the thought line goes on from there and and you've actually stocked up food for the week mm. and you know you're going to be fed you know you're going to be consuming something and not going hungry yeah. and i i totally agree with you that those economic reasons those financial inequalities hugely impact um our food what food we eat how we eat it um there's to the point that they're inextricable um and i completely agree with your conclusion that the government is skipping over this in their obesity strategy and not addressing those underlying causes of like, well, if you're poor, maybe you don't have access to healthier food. Um, maybe you do if you're wealthier. Or even with regards to exercise. I mean, space is the big thing, right? Yeah. Like if you don't have the space to exercise, if you live in if you live in central London, um, maybe there isn't a park nearby for you to go and exercise in. Or even if you um, live in the or... countryside, like, for example, like, yeah, the mm. lack of public transport that's going to be a massive yeah uh, in her in a, you know if you don't have like a football field or you know something near you where you can kind of or even if you say even if you live in the absolute sticks yeah you've got loads of outdoor space but you can walk yeah. but maybe you can't do other kinds of exercise so that also it's not just kind of an inner city thing i think mm. yeah yeah definitely um and i um, I know, I'm not going to disclose where I live, but <laughs> I don't live in London. But I, um, I live in a place which has, fortunately, has sufficient access to green space and parks to exercise in. But even then, there are little, there are complications. So, like for example, uh, I mean, I don't really go running anymore. But when I used to, I would go at night because I didn't want to. I don't want to be running during the day, um, and I didn't want to be running where other people are going to be around. But I also recognise that. I feel more comfortable going running at night because I'm a man and certainly I know um, women friends of mine would not be comfortable doing that for, you know, obvious reasons. Um, so I completely agree that this issue, this issue of obesity and our health and exercise is actually rigorously complicated and influenced by so many different socioeconomic factors. But one of the other reasons why I wanted to have this conversation was because when the i mean throughout all the briefing and the announcement of the strategy yesterday morning so recording on tuesday um my response was more instinctively sympathetic than pretty much everyone else on the left um so i know i'm very much in the minority here um so my my first response was you know the the meme of the um the worst person just said something that you agree with yes, my yeah. like first response was that that meme and when i saw boris johnson's video being like you know our running is great yeah. you know I, I go running the first thing in the morning because nothing can be worse for the rest of the day i was sort of sat there like 
begrudgingly mm. nodding my head like yeah i agree with him he's right there yeah. and that like um you know people and you know we should be encouraging people to exercise more and that kind of thing um and seriously tackling the issue of obesity and as sort of the day went on i was sort of um reading different takes about it specifically with regards to like calorie counting for example and how that can really impact people mm. with eating disorders um it could be really triggering for people um whether it's even effective in the first place um and also as we said the complete lack of sort of addressment of addressment's not a word addressing um i suppose it is now um addressing of uh economic health inequalities um with regards to the, the cost of food and the cost of cheap food and, and healthy food um and i sort of found myself nodding in agreement with those as well mm. so i was like okay well what is that what actually is my position on this because mm. and i and i think something which is interesting and i feel like this is a maybe unresolved tension in maybe a lot of the modern left but particularly so here is that there is a sort of odd tension between what is basically a kind of like sense of individual liberty and that it is mm. it is in our individual discretion to determine our own relationships with food and determine our own weight and own health in regards to what we feel comfortable with and what we feel comfortable with and positive mm. about with regards to our bodies um which i do sort of agree with and i think people should be encouraged to be comfortable in their own skin um and then the other side of it which is where the tension is caused is is there is the whole public health aspect of this um mm. about like the aggregate total of um people who become obese um and the aggregate total of sort of um so, sort of the, the sheer the sheer volume of unhealthy food mm. in the uk um that exists in all sorts of different foods um and i th i could feel myself being torn between like i accept the need for a government driven campaign to mm. bring the number of people who are obese down because even if i do feel sort of comfortable in my own skin i also recognize that i feel unhealthy at mm -hmm. times and i recognize that i am perhaps objectively unhealthy in some mm -hmm. instances um trying to balance that with knowing that i even if even if there are times when i do feel more comfortable it would be better for me and it would be better for the country if we were sort of told no you do need to lose weight and then another part which is like no because the relationship between your size and your weight and your health is actually pretty flawed yeah um because um you know as 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 i'm sure you'll have found as well i mean i i have so many friends who eat so who eat, who eat very poorly mm. and eat a lot of unhealthy food and don't really eat any fruit or veg when they when they could and there's nothing there are no economic reasons stopping them yeah um and it's not necessarily a case of eat, eating disorders or anything like that it is purely just oh well it's normal to yeah. know, drink coca-cola all the time or sure, eat yeah. you know take out or whatever that kind of thing um yet they they look fine um and also recognizing that i eat quite healthily um mm. but i'm nonetheless overweight obese and so there's this sort of like three different things pulling me in different yeah. directions and i was like okay these feel sort of contradictory but they somehow all coexist in my mm. head at the same time which i recognize puts me in a minority but i don't know i mean when thinking about when thinking about this in, in your relationship with it do you did you also see that sort of tension between does it the individualism of it and also the sort of wider structural more collective causes or did that not really factor into your thinking or do you disagree no i i really i i completely agree with 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 you in that respect um because and i think uh, it was we actually when i was writing the piece i think i had a bit where there was a moment where um morgan another one of the editors for the the social review mm. kind of pointed out to me that there's kind of a bit of um uh the piece is kind of arguing for less individualized policy making but it's also mm. saying that we should have more individualized policy making by having well, the yes that's the tension. having the government kind of uh, ask us to um kind of think about our relationships with food that, so there, there definitely is a tension there but i think it 
with this problem, you kind of need to take that tension and I don't know, somehow roll with it in a way, because I don't, I think with the, I think it is, it is both a societal problem. And I think it is also an individual problem at the same time, because yes, Mm. society, society wide, there is a clear socioeconomic, socioeconomic association Oh, and to be clear, mm. by the way, I'm not an expert on obesity. Um, so I just, I want to put that out there. So anything that I've said yeah. is basically... This is just our personal This is just from personal yeah. experience and from the research that I have done myself, basically, in the run-up to this piece. Mm. Um, but there is a clear uh, e- socioeconomic link between obesity and... Uh, yeah, there's a clear socioeconomic link between obesity and kind of your economic status. Uh, economic status. Mm. Um, but then at the same time, I think our individual relationships with food do actively contribute to whether somebody is obese or not. Because mm. you're speaking from, um, you're speaking, your personal experience comes from, you were from a, you were from a, a poor socioeconomic background. Uh, yeah, I came from yeah. quite, a uh, comfortable middle-class socioeconomic background and i still had mm. extraordinary problems with obesity so it's really it's mm. i think you do actually do have to treat it as both a societal problem when you're when if if you were to design a, a campaign an anti-obesity campaign i think it would be wise to do it to approach it from viewing it as a societal problem in that you need policy policy measures to deal with the societal issues um, that come from people not having enough money to pay for healthier food, um, for example, or, you know, to subsidize cheaper, cheaper food. Um, but then I do think you also need to have uh, a focus on the individual side, because mm. I know that basically for me, I didn't really start to kind of lose weight and kind of think about um, my food relationship until I th- felt like I was in a place where I could, if that made any sense. Mm. Um, so yeah. basically, to if uh, if you haven't read the piece, hopefully you might have been able to read it before this comes out. Um, but basically, in the piece, I kind of discuss my uh, process from how my relationship with food changed, essentially. And the first, the genuinely, I was, and this is, it's not a replicable, it's not a replicable, uh, you can't repeat this strategy in the set, or it's not an easily repeatable strategy in that basically the first thing that genuinely helped me change my relationship with food was the fact that I moved country basically. Um, and this basically just took me out of a school, which where I'd been, where there'd been, where I'd been bullied essentially. And so I, every, I immediately, I had this negative presence from constantly reminding me about my body and my weight just taken away from me essentially. Um, that was, kind of deeply emotional and then secondly mm. um me and my parents we start uh, started kind of having conversations around food and their relationships of food um and just learning mm. the fact that they when they were children them going through similar emotions that i had at the time um also knowing that they kind of that they had struggled with their weight as well was a really kind of important thing for me. And it felt, it helped me feel kind of less shame essentially around my relationship with food. Um, And the reason why kind of I'd avoided those conversations for so long was because having those conversations basically just made me feel depressed essentially about my body and my weight because Mm. I was just reminding myself, oh, I've got an unhealthy relationship with food. Oh, I've got, uh, Mm. you know, that kind of thing. Uh, And then finally, um, in my new school, um, initially I took the strategy of trying to keep myself to myself because I kind of just thought, so um, uh, for clarity, I moved to New York, by the way. Um, And so Mm. I actually thought that uh, in my new school that I tried to keep myself to myself because I thought that I would be bullied worse because I was now in America, um, basically. Um, uh, When the actual fact is, is that I wasn't bullied at all, really, in this new school. And if anything, um, a group of people in that school made a genuine and a real, really quite persistent effort to get to know me. Um, and this mm. kind of this this attention, this positive attention, just gave me kind of a a newfound kind of level of confidence 
um, and or gave me a taste of confidence, essentially. And that taste of confidence kind of and feeling good about myself encouraged me to take further steps to feel even better about myself, essentially. Um, so, for mm. example, I started uh, going to exercise more by myself, um, just going to a park for a run, for example, just after school. Um, just to kind of clear my mind because I felt and because I felt like I had the energy um, after school because I had had a decent day at school. Um, and mm. then also um, another thing, I stopped overeating because I didn't mm. feel like I needed that dopamine hit that food gave me mm. for so much of my teenage years when after, well, after a really tough day at school, um, I'd go to the shop and buy like a whole packet of custard creams, sneak them into my room and just eat them, eat the whole packet essentially. Um, mm. And it's so I think just being able to analyze how your emotional state, your, your, your emotional state affects your relationship with food is really, really important in understanding how you can actually lose weight. Because I think until you actually mm. understand how your emotions are linked to food, then it's going to be very hard to kind of actually make crucial kind of interventions, um, uh, which will actually be beneficial to you in losing weight, essentially. Um, mm. Now, and I also, I want to just get this out here. Um, mm. I think it's also really important that the government also takes it, also takes into account um, the element of shame in with kind of yeah. losing weight and um and being kind of overweight and being obese um and just in general that i think it would be really beneficial for the government to alongside having an anti-obesity strategy having a fat phobia uh, strategy as well because yeah people who are overweight are just it's very clear and I'm, from my research there is a clear amount of evidence that people do not lose weight if they feel shame about their weight it's just it's just doesn't happen and it was it was the same for me i've you know um and it's the same for you know it's the same for my parents um so having a, a strategy to actually deal with fat phobia and actually kind of changing what we see as as like a positive body image in society is really important as mm. well um, because it's so tied in uh, with how we think about our own kind of weight and um, uh, and our bodies essentially. Um, so yeah, that's mm. kind of uh, just, yeah, just some thoughts basically. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I completely take on board everything you said and um, the, the, the the point about this sort of stemming from school as well i think is really important on two on two levels because mm. i think uh my educational experience and um if any listeners who have had similar experiences perhaps this is also true for them um do sort of stem from difficult uh situations at school particularly in relation to like bullying um and just you know the general perception is like, oh fat equals bad mm. or like fat equals greedy even though at the end of the day everyone is sort of eating the same terribly unhealthy food um and um that there's not a greater interrogation of within the education system of why certain um you know why why certain people overeat Mm. um what could be causing that and i remember I mean, also, also just to sort of divulge into to my own past, my own thoughts mm. on this. I remember, um, I mean, my primary school was awful on many counts, but um, my teachers very much didn't understand. And I have a very vivid recollection mm. of our head teacher who, for the record, the public record is a horrible woman, um, <laughs> um, sort of um, approaching me privately and um sort of being sort of bringing up exercise strategies and weight loss and that kind of thing and um i mean i i won't go into into mm. it too much but it also done the same with other family members and you know was was clearly very much looking at this from like a social class perspective of looking down on a poorer family mm. um and 
I think the thought that I kept coming back to throughout yesterday was that actually to make to implement an anti-obesity strategy effectively needs it needs to be educational and it needs to start in schools and it needs to start with over overhauling how how health and nutrition and exercise and food is taught because similarly to yourself it's only been in more recent years where i started to take a more um active look at those sorts of things and how they impact me um and how they impact my weight Mm. um they weren't things i learned at school they were things i had to teach myself um not just with regards to like oh you know calories but with regards to like well how much protein is in this how much uh fat how much sugar how many carbohydrates um what do those different things do Mm. to your body like what energy do they give like what do they what do they contribute to the way the bodies function Mm. um and it was sort of during the process of learning about that so for full discretion i've sort of been on and off different keto diets which i found do work for me Mm. but again you know everyone's body is different different diets and different um sort of health strategies as they were will work for different Mm. people um but it was only sort of in in teaching myself about that and i kind of thought like oh my god there's no this isn't part of what you learn at school it's purely about more food equals more fat equals bad um basically therefore you exercise more and eat less equals good um Mm. which is a horrifically flaw on the number of levels i mean it sounds fine on the surface but then as soon as you start to unpick it a little bit it makes less and less sense because you know for the reasons we've outlined like well what if what if you don't have access to healthy food what if you don't have access to a way to exercise correctly what if uh what if you just don't know what food is healthy what if you don't know what healthy food there is to eat like or if you don't know how to cook um, for example like you may have the ingredients but if you don't know like how to actually make a meal for yourself then that's not yeah it's not it's not helpful basically exactly and and again like you know cooking for myself is something that i've taught my mm. have to teach myself over the past few years but i still know loads of people um some of whom are much older than me who, who don't know how to cook yeah. some of whom are like adults like much older adults and i and part of me goes like how can you not know how can you not know mm. this but it is all part of fostering that culture of not um not trying to shame people which of course yeah. is what I am implicitly doing when I have that instinctive reaction of like, how can you not know yeah. how to cook? Um, fostering culture of not trying to shame people and trying to be like, this can be a positive thing because it is about acceptance. Mm. And as much as I as much as I hate to say I agree with Boris Johnson, I agree that exercise makes you feel good and does set you up for the day it gives you an adrenaline rush and i agree that eating healthily makes you feel good i feel much happier when i've eaten a salad for lunch than when i've eaten i don't know insert unhealthy option food here Uh, yeah option chips whatever um like you know when i was at back when i was at uni before you know the end of the world started um i would love a night out to end with you know cheesy chips and curry sauce my favorite dish um coming home but I would also feel terrible afterwards um, mm. and feel uncomfortable about it. But I feel, and I feel much better eating salad. So in that sense, I'm like, this does need to be a positive thing rather than shaming people. And my hope is that the campaign, whatever kind of form it ultimately takes, will be more positive and trying to be like, these things are good things that will make you feel better mm. rather than you should be doing this and you're a bad person if you're not doing it um, because you're not saving the NHS or whatever. Um but I guess again, that's that comes back to that thing of like, it is about individualism in a sense. It's mm. about your health and your happiness and your well-being. Um, but at the same time, acknowledging that you don't have full individual control, and I yeah. think that's possibly the difficult part and the part I've been most wrestling with. Because, and I sort of directly addressed this when I spoke to my mum, and she sort of took a long time to answer because I sort of very I directly said like, do you do you think you have agency over your you know over food for example yeah like do you do you have individual responsibility do you have um control and i hate to use the term individual responsibility because it makes me yeah. sound like some kind of right-wing libertarian which i'm not but <laughs> i it's it's it, it that that is basically what it is and, yeah. and eventually she was like yes i do i do and i and i agreed as i i also think i have liberty and agency and 
responsibility with regards mm. to you. What are you, even when my choices are constrained by yeah. economic factors outside of my control? And I guess that's the nuanced thing in this debate, which is going to be really hard to straddle. And maybe as a part of me who thinks that maybe no kind of government backed campaign can address that tension because it is it is so it does need to be so personalized and so individualized. And the other thing I haven't even mentioned is I'm a lifelong vegetarian. I've never actually eaten meat. I was born veg I was born and raised a vegetarian. Mm. If I eat meat, it would probably kill me, to be honest. Um and so so I, I've 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 eaten plenty of unhealthy food because, you know, contrary to popular belief, you can be a very unhealthy vegetarian. Chips and pizza <laughs> are all vegetarian. Um but um but, but even then, like the popular image of a vegetarian or a vegan is someone who just eats grass and is, mm. you know, wonderful, wonderfully healthy. Very skinny. When that doesn't actually have to be the know. case at all. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, when some of the, you know, some of the, some of the unhealthiest foods can be can be totally vegetarian. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, do do you think that a, a government do you, do you think that government can to like address that tension and deliver on it? Do you think? I it, think. Do you think do, the folks on positivity would do that? I think it's very difficult. I think, to be fair to any government, it is a very difficult conversation to have. And they are very tricky conversations yeah. to have because they're both they're tied to very strong emotions. Um, there's mm. a lot of kind of misunderstanding as well around the issue. There's, mm. um, um, And, I, yeah, it is just, it's a very difficult thing for a government to deal with. However, mm. what... I would say is that they could be making more of an effort to do so that even if they can't, yeah. can't be doing it completely, can't be leading those conversations completely. They should be trying to help people have those conversations themselves with whether within mm. their own families or just by themselves. Um, and so for example, um, you kind of talked about like you asked your mum kind of like, does mm. she feel like she's got agency with, her food and yeah she does to a certain mm. extent but at the same time if she's economically limited limited in terms of where she can yeah. shop so she, i'm guessing she doesn't shop at waitrose for example um, <laughs> no. yeah there, there is a waitrose funnily <laughs> enough the waitrose is right now the waitrose where we live is right next to an aldi which i always think is fantastic um and then they just sell totally different yeah. kinds of food but yeah yeah so like if she's she she has agency to a certain extent in that she can go into a supermarket and she can pick up what she wants, but she, she hasn't got agency in the sense that she could, she wouldn't even think about shopping at Waitrose, I'm guessing, or if she mm, did, it would yeah. be, you know, maybe for kind of like something special or something like that. Um, mm. So, and the fact that the government doesn't, the fact that it would be political and it, and maybe I'm coming around to the fact that a conservative government probably can't have these mm. convers the, those conversations because ultimately mm. the, this conservative government is very accepting of that lack of agency that your mum has, for example. Um, they, mm. They're very accepting of that inequality. Um, so I think if you are accepting of that inequality, you kind of can't have that conversation and like, like, hold it up if that makes any sense like you mm. would just journalists mm. would just ask ask them questions like well you're saying this but then you're not gonna uh you you have to follow it up with the words basically i think if you are a government um uh but i and i think the and i think the fact that the government doesn't address the inequalities that exist in society also links mm. into individual perceptions of ourselves essentially so yeah. for for the for example the fact that like you can't access healthier food um mm. that may make you feel shame now yeah that's not something completely out of your control but you still get the emotional hit basically regardless and the fact because you feel useless exactly, you're you like oh well, i can't do anything about this exactly you Great. feel useless and it's the fact that the government doesn't actually admit okay we could be doing better by you know by putting more by helping you get healthier food onto your plate essentially that mm. that lack of admit admit uh admittance uh <laughs> contributes to people's emotional state i think so it is probably an extremely difficult conversation for a government to lead, 
but they mm. could be doing more i think to help people come to terms with their own personal relationships with food whilst at the same mm. time um to actually make sure that those conversations have the effect that they that is desired um i.e they want people to lose weight essentially um mm. they need to follow up with the socio-economic measures that will actually let people that will actually help people uh switch to healthier options to food or get more access to uh, get more space to exercise for example um mm. and to be fair to the government they have um in on the exercise regard i w- looked over their kind of plan for cycling and walking today mm. and it does seem mm. relatively ambitious uh, i have to say and in you know for example the the 50 pound bike uh, bike repair voucher scheme i will be signing up yeah. for that tonight um because <laughs> my yeah. bike needs a new chain for example um so they they are to be fair to them credit where credit's due they are coming up with some support on the exercise side but on the food mm. side i think they the measures that they've announced are very much based on the individual um mm. so you'll see less food advertising that may help people in the sense that they won't be craving those foods that that's good so that may have effects at the margins but the calorie mm. labels in restaurants for example i do find that highly troubling um, because mm. I know that for me, um, calorie counting actively didn't help my relationship with food. If anything, it, it actively mm. made it worse. And it also, um, I think it, for a period of time, whilst I was using a calorie counting app, um, it really mm. uh, um, kind of set me back in terms of my my weight loss um, at the time. Mm. Because I would, because the app would tell you basically you starve yourself, eat 1,500 yeah, calories yes. a day, uh, which is less than yeah. is required um, if you want to yeah. meet this target weight. Um, but then I would feel hungry at, you know, 11 o'clock at night or something like that. And I, yeah. you know, and inevitably yeah. I just binged eat basically because I was just, I was yeah. hungry and I was filling a void which I felt needed to be felt because it probably did need to, to, to be filled essentially. I hadn't eaten, you know, the, the amount of calories that I'd needed at the, the, for the day, basically. Mm. Um, and also the thought patterns that calorie counting can ingrain in your head are mm. quite toxic and can have quite long-lasting effects. So I only use this calorie yeah. counting app for around three months, basically. But for years afterwards, it, it's really affected my social life. So, for example, um, throughout mm. the whole of the university, I basically never went out to eat, which was great for my bank mm. account, but it was <laughs> yes. not very good for my social life in that, you know, yeah. um, uh, going on nights out and all this kind of stuff was very difficult for me. Um, drinking uh, was another thing uh, that calorie counting mm. basically ruled out because as soon as I learned the amount of calories that were in alcohol, it was just my brain was like, no, can't, you're not drinking because if you drink like three beers in the night, you're going to put on weight basically. Um, you know, that was basically my, yeah. how my brain worked after using that calorie counting app. Now, and then taking that uh, taking that attitude into university now for someone mm. who is naturally very kind of nervous and anxious that wasn't the mm. it really was not beneficial to my social life basically because uh one i felt like uh, because of my i didn't have anything to kind of alleviate the anxiousness and kind of nervousness that mm. i had in social situations but also when i was ever in social situations and i wasn't drinking the question would always come up, you know, why are you dr- why aren't you drinking, for example? And then I would either lie, which made me feel bad because I was lying to, mm. you know, someone that I was trying to be friends with, or mm. I would tell them this truth and they they would kind of look at me look at me weirdly, like your brain works like that. Yes. And it's just like and then you feel shame because this person's judging you yeah. for something which in your mind was kind of just this after a series of kind of events which you didn't really have control over but you're now stuck yeah. with it um so that's kind of just my viewpoint on that element of the strategy that they've announced yeah. basically mm. Mm. yeah no yeah it, it's it's really interesting and and 
the the point of calorie counting specifically, I think you've probably swung me around to a more mm. oppositional view to it because when I when I saw the news yesterday and you know mm. the, the policy's been banning around for years and of course like Weatherspoons for example already has calorie mm. counts yeah. on their food and I'd always been sort of like ambivalent about it. I'd always been like. Uh, I, like if I ate, if I ordered something in spoons when I went to spoons mm. that had a high calorie count, I'd maybe be like, oh well, now I know I'm eating high calorie. That sucks. Yeah. I do remember a specific instance where I ordered a different food. I think I ordered a risotto instead of like chips. Mm. The risotto sucked, so I regretted <laughs> ordering the risotto. Um, uh, but but I, I guess I'd always been ambivalent. Like, well, I think maybe it's a net good to like just have more. So like have the nutritional mm. information available and, you know, it's not as big a deal. But then, you know, I also I also take on board what you said. And, you know, I, I several friends of mine have suffered with eating disorders. And then I then you sort of think, about well, is it worth it? And like, is there a way you could do this better? And again, the answer does come back to education again. And yeah, I mean, this this is the area where I have absolutely zero confidence in the government to do it because I don't have confidence in Gavin Williamson mm. as the education secretary um, for, at all in any capacity. Um, but, I mean, you, you wouldn't need to put calorie information on... Well, maybe you still would if people still just wanted to know how many calories they were consuming or what kind of food they yeah. were consuming, but you wouldn't need to as such to a such great extent if you had education at school which was more about how nutrition actually works mm. how these things actually work as opposed to the current approach which as i outlined earlier is just eat more equals more calorie equal bad yeah um when it could be like so maybe you're eating is then it could be as you outlined it could be like well if you maybe you take the opposite approach and you will eat fewer calories but then you want to binge eat later in the day and that would be very healthy um or you know maybe if they were to go like okay well you could eat um, a normal amount of calories a day. You could eat 2,000 calories, but those 2,000 calories could be comprised of chips Just, and burgers, maybe. Yeah, and then yeah. you're... Um, yeah. And then, and then you might think, like... And it, and it, and it sounds odd, but I, I I know for a fact that, you know, some this is how some people in my life have at least thought of, like, oh, well, it's fine because I'm meeting those targets or on... Yeah services like slimming world or um, weight watchers for example where they divide food into sins or points yeah. assign assign food to those sort of arbitrary numbers mm. if you think like oh well this thing has maybe zero points or just a couple of points it's fine for me to eat but that thing might be like actually just not healthy at all and it sort of actually really distorts where your sense is so again this all just comes back to education and knowledge and as I said, this is something which I've only really taught myself about in the past couple of years, which I was able to do via the internet. Theoretically, um, lots of people should be able to do that because we're gradually improving digital access. I mean, far mm. too slowly. Um, but, I mean, when did we get a computer? I think it was maybe like, uh, I think it was maybe 11 or 12 and that was it. It was mm. the end of primary school. There was like a government scheme to like get poor families laptops, and right, we okay. fortunately got a laptop. Um, it was a terrible laptop, but <laughs> it was a laptop nonetheless. Um, uh, but theoretically, increased digital access, the democratization of knowledge, and that kind of thing, should mm. increase people's ability to learn about these sorts of things. But of course, a very specific set of circumstances need to take place to lead someone to that conclusion of like deciding that that is something they even want to do. Yeah. Um, and I don't, and obviously it happened to me because I decided that I didn't agree personally with the kind of like body positivity and like finding happiness within yourself if you're overweight and i i decided that wasn't working for me and it, it wasn't making me feel positive it was making me feel negative and i would feel body positivity if i was um slimmer and healthier um so which is all i've always had a difficult relationship with that sort of um I, uh, i'm exactly the same mentality i I've, yeah. I've always had and this is not to have a go by the way at anyone who does feel completely positive about their body yeah you know, yeah that, that's that's I'm not making a comment on that, but just personally for me, um, um, I've always struggled with the kind of the body positivity, just kind of rhetoric 
just simply from the fact yeah. that well there are a lot i it, i think sometimes it feels as if it's kind of it's either coming from people who haven't really struggled with their weight but it does feel as if mm. until you've been in the kind of the position where you are really heavily overweight um or obese um and where you're kind of where you're really kind of viewed by society with disgust like people like i remember mm. when i came so when i i lost a lot of weight over the the first summer that i was in america basically um and now summers in america are very very long uh, they're three months basically yep. so i i at the end of my first school year i was still overweight um, but I was slowly losing mm. weight at that point. But by the by the next term, by the, my second year, I, came, I walked back into school and the reaction from people was like pure kind of like shock slash joy, which I found weird. Mm. I was like, why are you joyful yeah. that I've lost weight? That has no effect on yeah. you. Um, yeah. You, you know, like, so, it, and I was kind of thinking, right, so you're joyful basically because you don't have to see a fat person walking around. That's essentially what you're feeling. I mean, maybe they were genuinely happy for me, but that's not how it came across in that it was kind of their faces dis immediately displayed some kind of like, just a reaction, which is kind of a bit kind of weird, really, when you've just come from yeah. being treated with a lot with kind of looks of disgust basically for so long in your life yeah to transition to like oh you're being it it felt very odd at the time basically yeah um totally and so yeah i think the that just to finish off my point i think um body the the only issue that i have with body positivity is that i think some it, the loudest voices in the room can kind of maybe dominate the conversation in that regard and yeah. I think body positivity has to mean body positivity for what you think, what, what will make you feel best is what you said, essentially. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And I, I definitely agree on the point of the sort of visceral disgust for overweight and obese people, which exists. Um, and, you know, I you know, it definitely relates to my personal and like family experience with in that in that regard. And I think that's something which is perhaps sometimes difficult for people particularly you know mm. proponents of the body positivity campaign um i mean not naming any like i, I don't i don't by, by that i just mean like normal people most people yeah, yeah. um uh it's hard to understand and, and this is a complicated thing and and this again i don't, I don't want to devalue anyone's experience and mm. I, i'm just speaking from my own experience here and i don't want to i don't want to piss anyone off um but it, it has always been complicated for me because a lot of people at least in my life who have sort of espoused it i'm kind i kind of think like well yeah but you you are healthy and i know you are healthy and you know that you are healthy and you know that you don't have to worry about it basically whereas i do and that's the difference mm. and of course there are some people who maybe outwardly seem healthy but maybe are not or maybe outwardly are thin but yeah. maybe are actually Ha, you know maybe suffering from an eating disorder yeah and actually and that, that's not outwardly visible and mm -hmm. i i completely accept that as well but that that disgust that you mentioned does just seem to not be addressed yeah. with regards to it which also makes you know again back to the sort of government's campaign which makes which which does make it difficult because mm. that's about I suppose this is another thing which which does need to be addressed in any effective anti-obesity strategy. It's it's being like, it's about improving your relations with other people and not being judgmental, yeah. not being, not shaming people. Um, so maybe, I, I think basically from from like from my thoughts and from this conversation, mm -hmm. I think an effective strategy can only be um, all encompassing of the different factors yeah. of society which influence someone's relationship with the food and their yeah. weight um it needs to be so it needs to be personalized in that regard it needs to be based on mental health um mm. but it also needs to be highly social and it needs to be about how people treat others yeah. and how people view other people in society and mm. that is really difficult for this government to do yeah. when it has spent so much time whipping up division yeah. and we've already seen the problems with that 
when they are put into position where they actually do need to unite people mm. behind a public health strategy. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of the worst possible situation for this particular government to be in, and they found themselves in it at our cost. Um, but also, the, so I don't have. Co- sorry, I just wanted to. No, yeah, go add, on, go just on. Right now, that you know, they're about to launch their "Eat Out to Help Out" campaign, which is yes, completely. The, we haven't even mentioned that. Which is yeah. completely kind of contradictory to the message that they're now sending to people. Um, So I really think this government has no, in terms of its communications, we know that it's been kind of a mess for a while, but it really does, is not in, you know, you cannot start an an anti-obesity strategy by asking people to go and spend loads of money in restaurants, (laughs) uh, you know, basically, it just doesn't really, it just doesn't send the message, basically. Um, and it also, I think, in terms of it will send the wrong message to the people who view people who are obese in um, in a view, way of disgust. But it, it it does it does put people who are already overweight mm. slash obese slash have a problem with their weight, um, either sort of objective or like self perceived, um, in a difficult position. Because yeah. you think, okay, well, on one hand, I've got to go eat out to help out um, and to sort of help the economy going and help businesses and that kind of thing. But on the other hand i've not got to do yeah. that um and it's like well, what either option what, what should i do like will i then be viewed with shame if i take advantage of these vouchers yeah. like it and, it, and it and what makes it weirder is that i do actually think that boris johnson is sincere in this and i don't think boris johnson is sincere in many things i think one of the common threads throughout his sort of political career has been the emphasis on like cycling for example mm. as a form of exercise like like i mean when i was much younger and only knew him as a sort of weird mayor from london mm. him being a keen cyclist and you know boris bikes mm. i mean I, I don't live in london but that, that was something i did know i knew very well and then the fact that he you know personally launched his campaign with a video where he said on camera i've always struggled with my weight and i've always wanted to lose weight and but i've i i've just never been able to and now i'm trying to and and also the fact that I don't think this is the kind of policy which really wins many people in the Conservative Party, many MPs, that is. No. Because it's sort of antithetical to many of the traditional things they believe. It's like, well, why is it government's job to control what people eat? Surely that's surely we're Conservatives. That's not about what it yeah. is. But then Boris Johnson is saying, like, no, it is actually, and this is what we're going to do. So that's why I do think it's coming from a place of sincerity. I mean, I I also not necessarily, not necessarily to compliment him. I, yeah. I know I do agree with you in that I do I do genuinely think it is coming from a place of sincerity, um, and I think that I think if Boris has taken any lesson from his ordeal of coronavirus, it is this, and mm. you know it seems like weirdly it's been the only lesson that he seems to have taken from his struggle with coronavirus, but it is a lesson that well, yes. <laughs> that he's taken. Um, but I do think he is genuinely sincere in it. Um, what I would say, though, is that he's sincere in that, in in the in the way that only his brain will allow, if that makes any sense. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like he, so he's still. It's still within the his sincerity is still within the prism of he doesn't want to use the state, the tools of the state, to help this campaign, or he or he doesn't really want to overly use them, basically, as well as he could do. He doesn't want to public. Mm. He doesn't want to invest. A massive amounts of public uh, expenditure. Um, he's mm. invested in the cycling, but we've seen that mm. for some reason investment in cycling is like his one thing, which he's like, yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah. As well yeah. as like other big infrastructure projects, basically. Um, mm. So yes, he's sincere, but it's still and sincerity coming from the mind of Boris Johnson is still sadly too limited. I think. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and then that, that ties in with the last week's episode, which listeners, if you haven't listened to it, I would encourage you to go check it out, about how despite rhetoric and appeals to the contrary, the Conservative Party remains entrapped within its traditional orthodoxies and dogmas. Yeah. And I think this is very much an area where you can trace conservative thought, libertarian mm. thought, um, yeah. in how the policy is being rolled out. And yeah, I mean, I think if people take away anything from this discussion, then it should be that. This is a really complicated issue. Yeah. No one, no one person who struggles with their weight is going to have the same perspective and experience as another one. Um, but I think that I, I I do think 
coming out of this, the solution just is having conversations with yourself, as you said earlier, and also enhancing education about this, about health and weight and nutrition in a positive way that's not in a shaming way, particularly when, you know, they're kids um, at school. Um, And in a way which teaches people to think about the food that they eat and why it is that they eat it and whether anything could be done differently, but doing so in a way which is positive and about making yourself feel happier and better and not shaming. Um, no, I, I, I yeah. I've just add maybe that um, as well as conversations mm. with yourself, I have as many conversations as you can with like your family, uh, your parents, yeah. your friends, you know, talking, just like asking them about their own like personal relationships with food. Like when did you like first feel shame about eating something or so- something like this, just to kind of, if you want to get a better understanding of how other people think, but you'll probably realize that they think in a very similar ways, in similar ways to you, but it as well in with crucial differences that make you all unique um mm. and then i'd also add that i think that if education is going to if a government does decide that they do want to invest in new education around nutrition i think that education would best be suited to kind of um primary school um yeah yeah I basically agree. because it's very I, th- I find it very weird that we kind of we eat food for the whole of our life but we never kind of like really kind of sit down and properly discuss it. And, or, and mm. we never did really in school, definitely kind of, I, that's kind of yeah. a very kind of clear memory for me, or it was kind of like loose conversations around lunch or something like that, but very, very, yeah. very kind of to the edges basically. Um, so yeah, I would add that in primary school, which is where firstly people become more kind of conscious of their weight kind of conscious of their appearance all these kind of issues they really need to be addressed at at that moment so that kids kind of actually get an understanding um at least and then obviously i think it needs to be relayed and repeated during secondary school just to kind of enhance the information that people have but it i think it's a really important intervention needs to be made early in a child's life so that they so that they have at least some information so that they don't like go through a huge period of their life which is extremely emotionally kind of testing in so many other ways uh and crucial for the rest of of your life yeah uh without that without some kind of base knowledge around nutrition and food basically so yeah 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 100 and as well as that um in implementing it with regards to teachers there needs to be an emphasis on (laughs) don't be a dick (laughs) um sort of do it you know teach this teach it fairly and teach it actually know, humanely and could i just add care. one more thing just basically yeah, uh, on the, along it. the same lines on that i think what's also really important is that schools stop hiring pe teachers who are dickheads <laughs> like oh my yes. god that's are, where i was going yeah 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 basically just that there are so many pe teachers who just are the worst types of people and then basically they've got yeah. the job because they're if they you know they yeah, for, I have no actually. I have no idea how they get their jobs, really. But basically, stop hiring I, I people don't. who are who are going to firstly uh, treat kids with disdain, which was often how I was treated mm. by my PE teachers. Yeah, either they didn't really notice me, or they just didn't really talk to me. And certainly, when other kids made comments about my weight in school, PE teachers did not bat an eyelid really um especially even if it was done openly Mm. in front of them for example um Mm. and they're all they all have very like hard to achieve body types as well like you're you're going to Mm. an exercise lesson with someone well, well i was going to an exercise lesson with people who were so muscly it was like i was just like that's what i'm supposed to be trying to achieve like and it seems like a very kind of contradictory message. And it's not a good message for getting exercise kind of uh, as, a rut- rut- as a daily part of people's lives. Because it, it just scared yeah. me from exercise, really. Um, because I mm. felt like I couldn't, because I, I couldn't do what those people were asking for me. And I didn't enjoy it. And they also never try, never made any effort to try and find ways for me to enjoy the exercise that we were doing in class. Um, so, mm. yeah, I think 
PE teachers really cause so many mental health problems, not only in this respect, in other ways as well. Um, That, yeah, basically just the Gavin Williamson, stop hiring uh, dickhead PE teachers. That's what I'd have to add. another episode of the social review podcast draws to a close thank you so much for listening i do hope you enjoyed it thank you so much to liam as well for coming on and chatting about his personal experience and history with food and weight loss and dieting you can go check out his piece on the website it's really excellent i would really recommend it once again i would just like to stress that we are just talking from our own personal experiences with this we're not claiming to be representatives of any kind um this is just our own feelings and thoughts on this particular issue as i plugged in the last few episodes of the podcast we are running a summer listeners consultation because we'd really love to hear uh, what you guys think uh, who listen to the podcast regularly or semi-regularly uh, what you like about it what you'd perhaps change uh, so there's a google form you can fill out it just takes a couple of minutes and it's totally anonymous you can write whatever you want of course be nice um You'll find the link in the episode description and you can also find the link in the show description wherever you get your podcast. So just copy and paste that into your browser. Uh, We've had some really great responses so far. So thank you very much to everyone who's filled that in. Uh, Very interesting, very informative. Um, And if you haven't yet, go check it out. Go do it. As I said, it only takes a couple of minutes and we would really appreciate your feedback and thoughts. Otherwise, thanks so much. And you will hear us again next week where we'll be discussing something else. (laughs) Have a good week. Bye-bye.